0: Trusting the Bible is a podcast series from Tinder House, Cambridge, and Bible Society, conversations with experts in biblical studies. In our first series, Trusting the Gospels, we're exploring the reliability, relevance and reality of the four Gospel accounts. In this episode, Dr. Andrew Ollerton speaks to Dr. Chi-Chu Lee about her experience of reading the four different Gospel perspectives.
1: Well, it's Andrew Allerton here. I work with Barber Society and I'm sitting today in Tyndale House in Cambridge, a place I love to visit. It's a centre of biblical research and I'm joined today by Chi-Chu Lee, Dr. Chi-Chu Lee, who's one of the readers here at Tyndale House. Chi-Chu, welcome.
2: Yes, thank you for inviting me to this podcast.
1: Oh, that's no, a pleasure. Now, we're looking forward to hearing about your research, and particularly we're focusing today uh, on the, 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 the Gospel of John and the theme of persecution that, that emerges through it. But I'd like to get a little bit of your backstory first. Could you share particularly, going way back to when you first came to faith and the context in which that happened for you?
2: Well, I was born and raised in Singapore. Um, my family, my parents were atheists. So for them, any religion of any kind is superstition. Hmm. So when I got to hear the gospel when um, I was in secondary school, it took me quite a while um, to even uh, work through whether what I heard is actually superstition or is historical truth. So eventually, when I understood what the gospel means and that his uh, and that Jesus is a historical person. And who he claims he is. Um, Was
1: that from just your own reading? Or how, how were you hearing this in Singapore?
2: Well, I started off opposing my friends like the way my parents would have done. I would, uh, I think they were superstitious.
1: Oh, I see. So you had friends <laughs> who are Christians. That's right. You opposed them. Yes. And then began to think through whether there was... Right, okay. Yeah,
2: so what happened was that um, I found that their reaction to my uh, sneering at them totally unexpected. They didn't retaliate. So I began to be curious why they behaved the way they behaved. So I asked for a copy of the Bible Hmm. to read it, not because I wanted to know what's the truth, but I wanted to find something to tease them about. So as I read through the gospel, my first gospel was uh, the gospel of Mark. I realized that I had a lot of misunderstanding yeah. of what um, the gospel is, or who Jesus is.
1: But your parents remained convinced this was superstition, something from the West that was sort of, you know, a very negative thing. So you've kind of been in a context. Maybe you, I don't know, would you describe it as persecution or just something a bit hostile? How would, how would you frame your experience of, of your parents' reaction and how you had to grapple with faith in that context?
2: I knew that when I decided to, uh, when I decided to receive Christ, I knew that my parents will be unhappy. They will oppose me. Hmm. But, um, They did not do anything to deprive me of uh, any of uh, so-called... They did not make life difficult for me. Okay. They were just worried and unhappy and tried all their best to stop me because they thought it was not good for me. Hmm. So there was certainly opposition, but I would not call the opposition persecution. Yeah, okay. But it's also quite unbearable because it creates tension between family members and a relationship, which is not a very nice thing.
1: Hmm. Well, uh, that's really helpful to hear your backstory. I mean, we'll come to your research now, but I'm sure many of our listeners can kind of identify with that. Sort of um, mild hostility in the sense that it's not easy sometimes to be known as following Jesus in, in whatever culture we're from. Um, but obviously, then you've you've journeyed through from that initial coming to faith in Jesus through to now being involved in really detailed um, biblical scholarship. Could you just give us a little bit of the highlights of how, how have you got from there to here? You're now a reader at Tyndale House in Cambridge. What's what's been the what was your route uh, through to biblical research?
2: Well, I. S- my faith journey began when I first read the Gospel of Mark mm. as a non-Christian. Um, from there onwards, I really loved to read the Bible. I used to question its historicity, whether it's reliable, and I uh, was able to get answers. So as time go on, I would, I would just love to read the Bible. I would love to ask questions about the Bible. So that naturally leads into this um, desire for biblical studies. So, when I went to seminary to be trained as a uh, full-time worker in my church, um, my favorite subjects were always biblical studies. So, eventually, um, when I was in seminary, I was approached by the dean and the principal to consider uh, teaching full-time there eventually. Um, So, there began my journey of uh, furthering into biblical scholarship uh, to train other uh, workers for the kingdom of Christ.
1: Yeah. Great. Chichi, that's great. I mean, I, lo- I love your story. I mean, uh, you hear this all the time, but you're another person who's been a skeptic that's actually been persuaded by the evidence, if you like. That's one thing. And and that the Bible, that just actually reading the text of the Bible has been absolutely central to your journey to faith and is obviously now the absolute centre of your research. So could you, so so we're now in the present day, (laughs) Uh, we've arrived at the present day moment and you're now a researcher, at uh, a reader at Tinder House. Could you give us the headlines of what is the focus of your research um, at the moment?
2: I'm currently writing a book on how Christians in the New Testament responded to persecution.
1: In particular, you've got to focus around, I mean, certainly one of the pieces I've read of yours, which I really enjoyed, was around the Gospel of John. Mm. One of the things I wanted to tease out, because it may not be obvious for some of us as listeners, there are big differences between John's Gospel and um, the synoptics or Matthew, Mark and Luke's Gospels. And uh, in our previous um, episodes, we've considered some of the, if you like, the, the sort of underpinnings of the text, the reliability. But we're kind of diving a bit more now into the content. What do they actually Communicate of the life of Jesus from four different um, angles and perspectives. Could you tease out what are some of the differences between John's Gospel and Matthew, Mark, and Luke? They're often thought of, they're, they're four Gospels, but they're often thought, talked as almost two categories, aren't they? You've got the category of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, often referred to as the synoptic Gospels. Maybe you could share a bit about why we use that term. And then you've got John's Gospel as something quite different. Give us your thoughts about, what are, tease out some of the differences.
2: So most careful readers of the Scriptures will notice that John's Gospel has a lot of materials that are not found in the other three Gospels, which we call the Synoptic Gospels. When we look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we realize that they have a lot in similarity. In terms of uh, the teachings on persecution, for example, uh, very often we find in the Synoptic Gospels that Jesus gives the direct instruction of saying, do not be afraid of the persecutors, do not fear, you know. Although um, we do also see that in John, right? Um, There there was once that Jesus did say that um, do not fear. Uh, But we see John very different as in um, John has this description of various characters in his gospel uh, that they are afraid and then how they would respond uh, in terms of uh, uh, the persecution they're facing because of their fear. So this whole narrative this all these characters don't appear um, in the uh, synoptic Gospels
1: yes yeah. so what do you, I mean so so you're Think of a difference of emphasis, maybe. The, the, the synoptics right. sort of say, do not be afraid. And then John actually entertains that idea a little bit more dif- uh, differently to the other three. Mm-hmm. What do you put that down to? Because I suppose before we get into the theme of persecution, just just stepping back from that, I suppose some of our listeners may be thinking, well, is there a problem mm. that John's gospel... I mean, some people think it's it was written a bit later, perhaps. Would you give any... Do you have a view on, on, the, on when we think John may have landed in terms of a, the first writing?
2: Well... It seems that um, John has a tendency uh, to presume his readers do know some things about the Synoptic Gospels. So it is quite likely that he has written it um, later than Mm -hmm. the other three as um, our... Historical sources among the church fathers also would tell us so. Yeah,
1: yeah okay. So the dating comes a little bit later, That's right. which obviously in itself is not is not problematic at all. It's but, not
2: problematic, yes.
1: But in terms of the way that the, data, the, the information is arranged and the content is different, I mean, for example, classically people point to the fact that the cleansing of the temple comes very early in John's Gospel and is seen as the final week in Jesus' life in the synoptics and things. I mean, what's your view on, do these things cause a problem or are they in some way... Uh, can they be can they be reconciled and do they enhance each other? What's your overall feeling?
2: So whenever we recount our conversation with one person or a small group of people, um, we would rarely quote the exact words um, of that referred conversation. We always rephrase it, and then when we recount it to different people, we may also situate the incident slightly differently.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So um, it is so natural because we don't replicate everything exactly uh, because we don't have a photographic memory, nor do we have a what I it as the audiophonic <laughs> memory where we yeah. just repeat everything exactly, but we always repackage it. So it's, it's something natural that everybody does. Yes. So when it comes to the gospel traditions um, that um, the various authors um, put across, it is similar in that way. And we know that in our daily life, we accept this kind of repackaging as reasonably uh, representative of what is happening. Hmm. Yes.
1: No, that's I, I agree. You're partly saying the Gospels reflect human diversity, where actually everyone experiences the, the, the account differently. And everyone records that differently, and captures the narrative. So it's the same, if you like, the same one coherent life of Jesus, but viewed from those different angles. And therefore you get different takes and different emphases. And And I suppose in a way, I mean, that, I don't know about you, but my, my reflection is that helps, can actually be part of the enhancing of the reliability. If it, If it was all framed in exactly the same way, we might think it was all a bit stitched up, you know, a bit too Mm -hmm. much kind of collaboration Mm -hmm. has gone on. So some of the differences can actually be part of the the reliability.
2: Um, If we talk about an illustration from life, it's like three of us are talking and then three of us recount the incident to different people Mm. and we find the commonalities as well as we find slight differences Mm. in the way we repackage or uh, present. So it does give credibility Yes. as being multiple witnesses of the same yes. event, right? So, But I would like to add that there are times when the gospel authors uh, use the teachings of Jesus in a way that they want to apply it um, to their audience. As, and they understand what are the needs of their audience such that they want to um, make the teachings of Jesus relevant to um, to their audience. So let me cite an example. I um, Just now we mentioned about this teaching called Love Your Enemies. Now we find that um, Luke recounts it with a next phrase that says, pray for those who mistreat you. Mm-hmm. While Matthew renders the next phrase as pray for those who persecute you. So we see that mistreat is somehow a broader application. And perhaps that's what Luke wanted to do, uh, to, to let his audience apply it to any situation of mistreatment. Yes. But for Matthew, because he specifically wants to encourage um, his readers, or, or rather his audience, um, with regards to the, the pressure of uh, persecution, then he frames it more specifically for um, uh, his context, uh, which is persecution. So it is the same teaching. Um, applied slightly differently. Hmm. But I'm sure when Jesus looks at both of them, he said, yes, you have represented me very clearly and you know how to correctly apply it to your audience.
1: So in other words, the differences, not only do they reflect the human personalities of the gospel writers, but they're actually, they're not just haphazard. They're actually yes. intentional. Some of the differences are because the gospel writers have an audience in mind, a context, yes. and they want to frame the teachings and the life of Jesus to really meet the needs and of that
0: audience. Do you want to go further in your knowledge of the Bible? Tinder House and Bible Society have more resources to help you do just that. Why not check out Inc., a free magazine from Tinder House that aims to bring you current research on Bible manuscripts, languages and the ancient world. It's for everyone, regardless of academic knowledge or experience, and it's free. Sign up for a post or e-subscription on the Tinder House website. There's also the Bible Course from Bible Society, The Bible Course is an eight-season small group resource that combines video teaching from Dr. Andrew Ollerton with interactive study time. It shows how the whole Bible fits together, from Genesis to Revelation, and how it applies to our lives today. Search The Bible Course or visit Bible Society's website to order a copy today.
1: So let's come on to that with John's Gospel then and this theme of persecution, uh, which is the focus of your research. Could you share a bit then, how does John... Uh, Or what do you think, in terms of audience, what do you think John has in mind when he is writing his gospel in terms of how he can help his readers in the context of persecution? Could you give any of the backstory, for example, if we assume John's gospel is written you know, late tail end of the first century, what's the backstory? What kind of setting are are believers in at that time? And how might John be framing his gospel for that audience?
2: The gospels are generally written for a wide audience, although it does um, have Um, some consideration for the more immediate audience that the author has in mind. So it is not easy to ascertain the exact audience that John is thinking of, other than the fact that from church history, we probably know that in his um, later days, he was in Asia Minor, uh, modern-day Turkey, and this area where, where he serves. So this could be That area um, of people. This could be the audience that he has in mind, but however, he is recounting what happened uh, decades ago at Palestine. So, um, so he he would I would think that he seriously is recounting what happened at that time when he was with Jesus, although he would think of how he could apply all these accounts to encourage his readers. So whether among the Jews or among the pagans, um, the Christians would always be facing persecution um, from their own people, whether they are Jews or they are pagans. And when they face persecution, everybody would probably be afraid. Mm-hmm. And and because of that, it seems clear to me that John does try to frame his whole narrative to address the issue of fear, because he mentioned Uh, about the fear of the Jewish leaders at least four times in the gospel, knowing that, and that gives us um, uh, a hint that this is the very issue that he's trying to address. Mm. Um, But because it is placed in the life of Jesus, um, uh, he can also use these cases um, to encourage Christians who are in a non-Jewish setting as well.
1: And I suppose if we, if we assume, and I know some do and some don't, but if we assume that the Apostle John is in some way the the um, author or, or content feeder for the, the Gospel of John, and, and he's obviously exiled on the island of Patmos for a period, we know that. Mm-hmm. We know that someone like Polycarp, one of his disciples, is martyred um, early into the second century. So there's a context then that, that is, good. I suppose, a good reason to be afraid, right? There's a lot going on that would have yes. been um, life-threatening, not just uh, mild hostility, but life-threatening. Uh, possibilities for following jesus and so in the gospel then you pick up on some of the ways in which this idea of fear plays out and yet that john is calling christians through the way that he sets quite strong categories um within the gospel he's calling christians not to sit on the fence if you like or or, or arguing that there is no fence to sit on could you perhaps just tease out a little bit how the gospel frames its message to make it clear that there's a decision to make and a, a call to follow regardless of the cost
2: All right, John often like to use um, opposite terms in his gospel. We see terms like love and hate, light and darkness, truth and lies, right? So he uses two phrases, not of the world and of the world, to demarcate Jesus and his disciples. So, for example, Jesus says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, therefore the world hates you. So we see these opposite terms, of the world, not of the world, love and hate, right? So the love and hate in this statement actually intensifies the contrast, right? That these two groups are mutually exclusive and in opposition, uh, which means that one cannot say that I am... Not of the world because I believe in Jesus. Mm. But at the same time, I think the world can still love me. Mm -hmm. For John, that's impossible. Yeah, okay. So, which means that he leaves no room for a person to be on the fence or to be identified with both. So, neither can one wish to be on Jesus' side and yet to have the world love them. Or to even say that, I'm not taking sides. Hmm. I don't want to be of the world or not of the world. There's no such middle place to be.
1: Ooh, wow, I'm starting to feel challenged now. <laughs> this is because, effectively, what you're saying is he's turning up the contrast, right? He's saying yes. you're either in or you're out. So you're that's either right. light or darkness. You're either of Christ in Christ or in the world. And mm. I suppose, I mean, I you know that's a real challenge, isn't it? That that really hits home today because you know Western Christianity um, it can be it can be very comfortable to be um, a Sunday Christian, I suppose, someone who's, who's confidently known as a follower of Jesus. And certainly, my own story, I, I've been in that place where I've been confident as a Christian in church and then done everything I could to hide my faith um, in school and in the the context where peers wouldn't find that acceptable. What does John's gospel say to that then? I mean, how would you sum up the challenge of John's gospel in terms of us today and our listeners thinking about whether we're prepared to be known as followers of Jesus?
2: Well, there is um, an account in the gospel of John in chapter 12, where John mentions that there are quite a number of Jewish leaders who believe in Jesus. Of course, we know that earlier on um, in the gospel, we see a lot of these Jewish leaders opposing Jesus. So now come to chapter 12, we realize that, hey, among some of them um, uh, have come to know and believe in Jesus. But yet, John continues to comment that they would not, openly acknowledge their fear um, because they are afraid that they would be cast out of the synagogues. So then John commented on this negatively to say that because they loved human honor more than God's glory. So what's happening here is that being put out of the synagogue or being cast out of the synagogue is exceedingly dishonoring and shameful. Hmm. It's not like us where we say, oh, okay, if I don't go to church here, I'll just go to church elsewhere. No, in those days, once you're so-called cast out of the synagogue, you're cast out from your own community, you're ostracized, you're no longer accepted as the community, whichever synagogue you're going to go to. Um, And um, for them, because they emphasize a lot on group identity rather than the individual identity— to be ostracized and denied by the group where you used to belong to is very, very dishonoring and very shameful. And for people with high positions like Jewish leaders, it is even worse.
1: In our case, we, you know, mm. we, we, we perhaps don't understand those categories. We're quite individualistic, aren't we? But there's a whole mm. excommunication almost at risk for John's audience in the Gospels. And therefore, he's recognizing that to follow Christ has that potential to mean you really are no longer accepted amongst your peers and in your context, you don't get invited to the parties, you don't get the job; those kinds of p- possibilities and, yes. and worse are arising. And so, fear is obviously one of the right. natural, if you like, natural human responses to that kind of exclusion mm. or risk and the potential consequences. Yes, and John is therefore writing his gospel to to an audience that would have had a lot of potential fear, but he's calling mm-hmm. them to see that there's still no fence to sit on. Is that right? I mean, this is where it's challenging, isn't it? Because we all feel the fear, yes. but there's no fence.
2: <laughs> That's correct. <laughs>
1: um, and so do you have any, I mean, just as we wrap up this part one, and, and just uh, for the sake of our listeners, just to encourage us, we're going to see actually in part two, am I right, that, that nevertheless, John then uses particular characters to say, actually, Jesus still has a great compassion and the gospel has great compassion for those who are grappling with these issues. And uh, we're not to be condemned for the challenges we face, but, but we're helped there. But nevertheless, as we wrap up part one, what's the kind of what, what would be your advice to those of us who do feel fear um, at being really known clearly for following Jesus from John's gospel? What can we draw on? What thoughts should inspire us in terms of how we respond to that fear? But nevertheless, um, be clear about our faith in Christ.
2: Well, although the all four gospels um, depict Jesus giving uh, the instruction or an encouragement that um, that they are not to fear, that doesn't mean that fear in itself is being um, is a negative thing. Hmm. That doesn't mean that fear in itself is negative, but rather that fear is a natural emotional response um, to danger. Hmm which I think is also made by God because then we know how to preserve ourselves from injury or harm (laughs) Mm. from the danger. So I would say that um, all four Gospels would encourage their audience with Jesus saying that um, he is the one who will pray for them. He's the one who Mm. will protect them. He's the one who would deliver them. Mm. Uh, That's all common. But yet, what would find what we would find in John is um, is being so honest to depict how different characters actually react to fear and what they did in response. Uh, from there, uh, I would leave um, our audience to our next session to look um, to look in detail how these various characters are being portrayed, how did they uh, respond to fear? And then how does John look at them uh, when they respond likewise?
1: Mm, Great. Chichi. I'm looking forward to part two. We'll come on to those characters. But part one's been challenging. You know, I think as I'm hearing, I'm thinking, don't be surprised that you feel fear. That's natural, as you say. But also don't think there's a fence to sit on. We need to be clear that we're following Jesus Christ. Chichi, thank you.
0: Thank you. Trusting the Bible is a collaboration between Tyndall House Cambridge and Bible Society. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to catch the rest of the conversation. If you'd like to know more about what we do, visit us online at tyndalehouse.com or biblesociety.org.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the series, so do get in touch, either on Twitter at tindal underscore house, or email us, communications at